Hello and welcome to episode two of What's Your Anchor? Uh, today we speak to Johnny Pelham, who is a writer, a comedian, he does uh, stand-up comedy, he's a script consultant, he's also writing his own sitcom. He's got so many strings to his bow that it's less of a bow and more of like a weaponized harp now, um, whatever that means. And uh, yeah, we had a great chat. Um, we talk about his um, current show that's touring, um, which is called Off Limits. Um, and so you can find out details about that on his website or on his Instagram which is at Johnny underscore Pelham but yeah it's great and it's all about uh, his experiences growing up um it's a very different episode tonally, this one, uh, to the last episode I recorded, uh, because like I said, um, people have different experiences, and mine and Johnny's experiences of mental health are very different, and um, that sort of, I think, creates quite an interesting dynamic. Um, so yeah, without further ado, here's Johnny Pelham. Well, hello, and welcome, Johnny Pelham, to What's Your Anchor? Thanks for having me, Sam. It's no worries. Um, so... What is your anchor? What's the thing that keeps you relaxed? Uh, reading, I think, sort of. Mainly, like, fantasy, that sort of genre. And escapism, Ooh, Interesting. That's what I'm after. Okay, right. That almost answers one of the questions that I had, actually. Because I was thinking, right, when I'm in a position where um, I'm, like, sort of struggling with mental health, for me, the last thing I want to do is, like, or the last thing I can do is, like, sit down and read a book. Because mm. I'm just like, ugh, like I just I need some like I need some some easier, some that will like appeal to more senses, if that makes sense. Um, like, like in the last episode, I spoke to Amy and like she was saying like, oh, she can get a bath, and then maybe I can like go and have a bath and then read or something like that. But even then, I think it's just like it's just I don't know if it's it's a personal thing, but it's not stimulating enough for me. So. When I'm my my I think my way of dealing with stress and anxiety and all things like that is to avoid them. So I so that's how I deal with life really when I'm stressed. So I don't feel I I very I very very rarely feel my emotions. I'm sort of emotionally dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which we've yeah you've said that before, haven't you? When we've just been sort of like <laughs> yeah. We I think it might have been the time when. Uh, we'd met and we'd gone to the cricket yeah, yeah. and for some reason at the end of the cricket um, I, I found myself throwing a beer at your face and then you threw one at me uh, and I, I don't remember that at all I've got such a bad memory too well, this is, that well, you probably helps with my anxiety it's, it's your dead emotions I guess yeah, yeah. you just sort of got no memory of that you chucked a beer at my face what well a... face or body but it, I think it ended up in your face by accident but I, afterwards I was like the day afterwards I was like oh my god like I, I've never ever done that in my life <laughs> but, what, like, but it was everyone was doing it at yeah, the end yeah. of the cricket because it was like Yorkshire well, it was Lancashire versus Yorkshire wasn't it it you was spot Lancashire, I spot Yorkshire so we had a, in, a conflict built into the structure of the day I think as I chucked it, I said you couldn't. It sounds like that. that sounds like something you do. Yeah. But the, the thing thing is, the amount of times like my partner will tell me things I've done, mm. and she could gaslight me so easily. <laughs> like because I have, I just don't remember anything that I like like I have no memory of me and my governor's first date or like like I'm like an etchy sketch essentially. Like right, I just wake up in the morning mm. and I'm just in the. So yeah, so I think that is. Um, so that's a big reason why I don't get anxious. I'm very, very rarely feel anxious about something. Yeah, because I felt really anxious about that, because I was like, oh my God, Johnny will, like, what will he be thinking? Yeah. Like, I, I, I was, obviously I was very drunk at the time, yeah. right? Uh, not that that's a justification for it. You hope so. I mean, yeah. like, you don't want to be sober, <laughs> just calling me a cunt and chucking beer on. <laughs> and it was crowd mentality, okay? Enough excuses, but... I was like, fuck, I've never... Like, that is ridiculous. What what came over me? Yeah, yeah. And then next thing you know, you're just like, oh, yeah, just I don't think about anything. I just think, <laughs> um, you, you're just, like, emotionally dead. I was just... It was... I just thought, oh, I had a nice night, and that's the last I'll ever think about it, and then that's that. And it's, That's 100% true for me. Like, I will live... I, I so rarely reflect on past events. And I think, well, diving too heavy, too quick, uh, I had quite a lot of surgery on my legs, and I was also abused as a kid sexually... And so I think that made me find the work, like how I dealt with us both was to like avoid and numb. And so mm. like now I have almost no connection to my body. So right. like in the moment I'm trying to lose weight and it's incredibly helpful because I can just not eat and not feel it, like not feel hungry really. So yeah, I have, like, I'm very far away from my emotions and my... And so 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you've had like forms of therapy in the past as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And have they ever tried to steer you away from this sort of like you're just like almost like you're just a person driving a body rather than it being connected? Well, at the moment, I do a lot of things which really help. Like I meditate every day if I can, uh, and I try, and I also then try and visualize uh, myself going through the day. And I do morning pages. And sometimes I've slightly done too many, I'm trying to do too many things. It's mm. sort of slightly impossible. But all those things for me are like hooks that I put into the world to try and stay present in it. Mm. Yeah, so there's all, I do loads of things which try and make me present in the world. Because I'm like, I love fantasy fiction. I daydream all the time. Yes, you've got a stand up bit about it, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So, so, I, so I, I daydream. And like, the thing that made me go to therapy in the first place was that I was 25, I never had sex as an adult, mm. I was living in a squat, and I was quite happy. And it was like, I suddenly thought, I'm going to die having never had sex and never done any of these things. Because I was so happy floating off into this daydream world and not being present in my life. And did you feel like, because if you were happy with that, did you not just think, oh, maybe I'm like asexual or something? Or did you know that you had the urges, you've just never sort of had the, I don't know, confidence to go and approach someone? Or what, what, what was it that... Even that question would be too much of a present question. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah, so yeah, I okay. Would, I wouldn't okay. even... The thing that made me go to therapy was I, I went to a funeral. It actually wasn't a funeral. It was uh, someone's like 94th birthday party. But just, Wait, what? Is it quite different? Was, 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 the, was the birthday person dead yeah, or not? She was just going... Death was... She was so old, Sam. <laughs> she was the oldest was woman in the world. Okay, well, she must, she must have had some at Terminal then, right? No, no, she was... Tall, she was just a really... Old, it was like... <laughs> it was like my great-aunties. I only went to it. I didn't really know her. I only went to it because I was down uh, that part of the country where okay. they're from. And it was just, it was the oldest, I've never been in a room with that many old people. Oh, okay, so it wasn't a funeral at all, but to you it felt like It felt like everyone was wearing a suit and about to die. I hope you didn't put that in the card, like, or anything like that. I put it in my (laughs) stand-up. That's better. Yeah, yeah, that's better. But, and then I was like, and then I had a moment where I thought, I'm 25, whatever I was in 24, like, I've never had sex and I am going to die, and that is an issue. But it was very much an intellectual thing of going like, I need to change something here. And then I went to therapy and started talking about the abuse. Because I, did, I didn't go to therapy particularly to talk about the abuse. I was just like, I think it's weird. My engagement with the world is quite weird. And then it turned out a lot of it was the sexual abuse and also all the surgery. And then a lot of it then was going... That's why I do things like the morning pages and all that, because they remind me, oh, actually, life is worth living and I should try and be present in it and do... The morning what, sorry? The morning pages. So I write, like, oh. three pages worth of, like, just junk in a, in a note. Oh, like, of what you appreciate? Not, like. not on what I appreciate, just anything that's on my mind. So I just right. wake up and it's like, I just pretty much don't take the pen off the pad and just okay. scribble for, like, three pages. It was recommended in a book called The Artist's Way, yeah. which is okay. a really great book that you should buy if you want to become an artist but don't know the way. Yeah, well, is there one way? Well, wow. actually, no, they talk about several artists, don't they, in all their ways. Um, I've got it on Audible, actually. It's a bit wanky, but it is quite helpful. There's a yeah. lot of stuff about God and sort of spirituality, and we've all got a well, divine God purpose. is one of the artists, and his, yeah. his, way, his way was creating the universe. Yeah, and he did a good job, to be fair. That was really the, the foundational piece of art. <laughs> it was, yeah. Um, okay, I just had a question, actually, about... So you said because of the... Um, Oh, the abuse and surgeries that cause you to sort of clam up a little bit, if that's the word that you would sort of... Um, well, disassociate, I think, disassociate. would be the yeah. so It would be like, just, yeah, not being present so, in my body. Okay, I, this might be, like, naive, but, like, this, so the operations, how, how would they... Because, I mean, I, I've had operations before, yeah. but, like, are you assuming there was something that happened with this that was maybe quite traumatic as well, then, or...? Well, I had a lot of them. So I've got something called popliteal pterygium syndrome, which is quite a rare genetic disorder. There's only about 300 of us in the UK. Um, and what it means is I had loads of surgery. So I had a cleft lip, a cleft palate. I walked on my tiptoes uh, and a few other things. Like, particularly on my legs, for, like, six months, I'd have full-on surgery every two weeks. Right. And I'd have okay. to be in, like, plaster of Paris and in a wheelchair. So from the age of about 10, I guess I would have been... I mean, year two, what's year two? Maybe younger, year, like seven? 
Yeah. I was like six months in in a wheelchair. I was in a lot of pain during that time, on a lot of painkillers and things like that. And so I guess that would have made... Well, my hypothesis on myself, but you're always slightly talking bollocks, aren't you? Hmm. Is that I learned then that actually being in my body was quite painful and I'd rather just escape into fantasy and into sort of flights of fancy and things like that. And in a weird way, has that helped your creative sort of endeavour? Is that why you want to be like a creative and a writer or are they completely separate? I'm sure they are linked. And particularly mm. when I write scripts sometimes. And I've... Because I, I used to... I, I guess I used to have very um, in-depth story-based fantasies about, you know, me being a pirate. And they would have characters and... Yeah. And so I think when I'm writing a script, I'm still using a lot of that, mm. a lot of those skills, I guess. Okay, because I was going to say that's that's like it, it's quite an interesting thing that like you find it so easy to do that and go away into these worlds. And I guess like one thing that we've always um, sort of said when we've both been discussing mental health in the past is that like. I think me and you have very different experiences with it. Like mine are very like almost like you were saying is more like so what Sophie and not to like speak on her yeah, behalf, yeah. but like you were saying like she sometimes like dwells in anxiety and anxious thoughts or worries about something and and that's like what I I do more. Whereas yours is completely separate to that. But then um, you know like you said with the reading you can escape with that. Whereas for me it would just be like I'm trying to read but I can't mm. because I've got so many things. Just I'm just like overwhelming in my head that would just be like the opposite and it's, I think it's the same when I try and go into an imaginary world as well mm. I start to like it's too like flicky there's too many like too many distractions and too many things going on um so I know I'm anxious or struggling when I I mean what I've realised is maybe I've picked the wrong object and we've not gone into it yet but I, I, I saw what ruin that but um <laughs> but I know I'm anxious when I'm daydreaming a lot or right. when I'm not present so and so it's like so it's like lack of feeling. Like I could happily put music on and stare out the window for eight hours. Yeah. And right. not and and enjoy that's the awesome I really enjoy daydreaming. So it's yeah. it, that's why it's so um difficult to stop. It's, it's mm. called maladaptive daydreaming, if you want to pathologize what I have. Someone describes it as being like a drug addict and the drug dealer. You know, because you can right. just give it to yourself at any time. So it, what so there is a, like a relief from it then? Yeah, I feel really happy in the daydreams. So yeah, I feel emotions in the daydreams. And they never like get out of control or are negative unless you want them to. Or... Exactly. So right. you're completely in control of the whole world. And, and you can experiment. You can go, what if that character died? Or I'd feel sad. Mm. And you can experiment with feeling sad in a totally safe way. Right. It's like that bit in, in Matrix where it's like the blue pill or the red pill, Neil. You know, and you... Yeah. Yeah, because I've got, like, intrusive thoughts. Mm. Um, and so if I was imagining that, that was really nice, and I was like, oh, I'm on a beach, I'd then just imagine, like, a baby being stabbed um, <laughs> on the beach. And I couldn't really control that. And I'd be like, oh, God, fuck, fuck off. Fucking like, baby. Um, and it's not, like, that lucid, like, that or that vivid, even, is the, is mm. the word, I guess. Like, um, unless, like, I'm in a shop or something and I'm walking past, like, a pregnant person. Yeah. It's not just babies and children <laughs> and unborn babies. But they're, like, obviously a big source of, like, to, if you see a heavily yeah, yeah. pregnant woman... The last, like, your brain in it, I've, like, t- talked to my uh, therapist about it, and she was like, oh, yeah, it's the, like, of your anxiety giving you the last thing you'd want in this situation, yeah, yeah, yeah. which apparently is is me punching um, said mother in, in the stomach. And that's... <laughs> but it gives me a lot of... Because it, it makes you imagine that scenario, and, and, and you sort of... If you give them value, they sort of, like, yeah, yeah. sit on you and make you really anxious. Um, I've got a few so, friends like that, and it really affects their... Because they think they're not moral people. Mm. Because you're like, why I am I thinking? Horrible, horrible. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I guess for you, like, you've got this... Yeah, you've got this like, almost like a dream world sort of thing. It feels a bit like lucid dreaming. Is that... that Do you lucid dream as well? Or is it, like, have you ever done that and it's very different? Like, I don't know. Like, that's what I'm getting at the moment. It's, like, similar to that. It's more... It's less visual than that. It's more like I'm telling myself a story. Right, OK. So it's, and so it's not a very... It's not a very visual thing in terms of... I'm not sat there thinking I'm on a pirate ship. But it's like I have these characters and I can draw them in and be like... Right, you know. I mean, I, I don't really deal about pirates anymore um, at all. It was more when I was a kid. But then it'd be like, right, then we got to get some treasure or blah, blah, blah. And then there's a plot and then there's who's the baddie. So I guess it was like I was making little stories in my head. 
Mm. But it wasn't. It was. It was more. It was more like writing a book than drawing a picture. Okay, that's interesting. Oh, okay. So it's yeah. So it's different to lose the dream then, because you won't be like genuinely convinced you're there. It'd be more like... not at all. I'm very. So that's the, that's the difference between. There's a novel disorder which I've temporarily forgot the name of, but that's the main difference. Is I'm always completely conscious that I'm not there. Right. So it's not an identity disorder where I lose track of myself within it. And that happens more when you're anxious than the normal. I think so. I think I'm more my how I escape anxiety is to. So I think same me and Sophie broke up. Who's Sophie's my partner? Yeah. I probably how I deal with the grief of that was I just start daydreaming loads for a bit. Hmm. And, and and my goal to, to us like, like a mental health if I was working on my mental health then would you think I'm going to try not to daydream as much because actually it's healthy to feel the sadness and the grief and of course yeah yeah and your daydreams at that point would be so disconnected from anything you wouldn't be like daydreaming about not a toy Sophie wouldn't mean them in any way no interesting okay so okay talk to me about the book then that you've got obviously like beforehand you said what your activity or thing was and it was books um and so you said just then on the episode fantasy books i don't know anything about what book you've got right now well it's a book called uh, earthsea the first four books and it's by ursula le guin right um and it's basically just a magic book about a wizard who bobs around talks to dragons and has a good time but what i've realized actually is maybe it was this is the wrong thing to have brought in in a sense that actually this is how I escape and one of the things I do to relax. But maybe I should have brought in, like, you know, my morning pages journal or something. Because that's actually how I try and root myself in the world. If that, does that make okay. sense? I think, um, both are, I think both are valid, though. Because, like, like you said, like, that's something that you've, you've chosen that because that's something that like, does relax you or does yeah. take you away. It definitely relaxes me, 100%. And I love it. Like, you know, and I, I saw when I was a kid, I'd read a lot. Right. And I think it is just that escape, isn't it? And going mm. can be anyone or anything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting that like uh, as a child you did that, but then like other parts of your life have maybe been trying to leave your childhood behind or not do any or sort of not associate yourself with that or anything. Um, which is how well that was like my sort of perception of it anyway. I don't know if that. I don't know. I don't. I don't feel. I mean, th- again, this is probably. The, I don't feel sad about my childhood. Like in my head, I feel oh, I actually had quite a happy childhood. I'm sure to an extent that probably wasn't true, but like I don't have, I don't definitely not. When you said escape from your childhood, I don't have a sense of that being quite how I feel. Okay. Um, but maybe that, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that is true. It was just when you when you said the how you sort of like disassociated yourself from your body because you were like it's because it's painful to be sort of you mm. at that, that, that time, and then it was like. I sort of took that and thought, okay, well, that was in your childhood, and then therefore maybe you would then lump it on as you get older, lump it on, okay, that was that thing in the past, and I want to sort of disassociate from any of that stuff. But again, that's probably how I imagine in my sort of mind I would be. But I think I was so successful at disassociating that I actually don't have particularly bad memories of it. Right. Or any, you know, I like have very few memories. As, mm. yeah, so, like, so I, I definitely don't. Thank God, it was really hard being ten-year-old John. Yeah. Even though it probably was quite hard being ten-year-old John, but and I also I don't really have a I don't feel a connection to that child. I have no idea what that child was going through really. And do you, do you think that the therapy that you've had has been helpful in any way? And what kind of therapy is it that you've had as well? Oh my shitloads of therapy. So um, <laughs> when I was twenty five, I went to the first therapist. The first, I mean, therapy is really helpful. The first therapy is just basically it went on for about six months, and it just made me aware that being sexually abused had had an impact on me. And it sounds nuts, but that was really it was right. just going. Oh, that really probably did fuck me up, and I was so in denial about that, mm. and that was so helpful because I could go because. When, um, was that person-centred therapy, or what, what was the name would, of that one? It was with some training. I guess it would have been it would have been person-centred, probably. They, they, they didn't feel like they were using a particular technique on me. Like, it wasn't CBT or anything? Or it could no. have been, like... Um, I know they've got, like, trauma therapy and stuff, but this is, like... It, this was just person-centred, I think, yeah. with, like, maybe, like... Uh, yeah, I mean, I just... Through the NHS, or was it private? It was private. It was with a, a trainee student, so it only cost, like, 25 quid or... Like a trainee therapist. Okay. So it's relatively well, cheap. Well, throwing her in the deep end with that. Yeah, bang, straight <laughs> <in. laughs> I assume, like you said, this person did help you though, so um, at least. Hugely, at very least helpful. she 
did it very well anyway. And so. I don't imagine I would be that hard. I might be completely wrong about it, but because I've, I've never, like, I've never cried in a therapy session. I imagine this might be completely wrong, and I imagine with me there was frustration that she couldn't get further than she could get. But I imagine it's more stressful when the people are really crying and mm. talking about, you know, being suicidal or something. Yeah. Whereas I was sort of more homicidally calm. You know, I mean, I was just like, mm. yes, this happened, and it was pretty bad, but I'm actually fine. Speaking of books, actually, there's a book about um, someone who doesn't react the way society wants them to, mm. um, and how that sort of um, results in him being sentenced to death. <laughs> really? Um, through a course of actions yeah, that... Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's one of the things is about how he reacts to his mum dying, and he's very just like normal about it and it doesn't yeah. appear sad whatsoever and people start asking questions about yeah, it yeah, yeah. Um, and then he does shoot someone on the beach but um, it, that might have been why <laughs> but it was his reaction to that as well and I think uh, it's basically he sort of is a bit mm. um, picked on for those reactions um, that's called The Outsider by yeah. Albert Camus uh, what, listen to, what, uh, read that book uh, and you have no idea how it ends <laughs> 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 it's, um, Someone will be halfway through that book as they listen to this podcast, like son of a bitch. <laughs> no, actually, the, the, uh, yeah, I know. I do regret saying the shooting beach thing, but actually, no, I think it might say that on in on the back, in the um, the blurb. blurb that's the, blurb the word, um, because I think I think he is just on trial, um, and that's not like the sum of it. Uh, yeah. It's how the trial goes and stuff. And oh no, I have said he was sentenced to death as you well. Did, yeah, 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 no, yeah. you're right. Yeah. Um, Great well, book, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I would say don't read it for the plot. Um, read it anyway. The philosophical undertones. Yes, I think it's really. I think it's really good. But um, anyway, back to back to you rather than um, this character. Um, so, how many sessions did you have with that first? Can you remember? Um, Loads. I mean, like. As in, like, 20-plus, or...? Definitely, yeah. Like, it could have been... It, I went to her maybe a year, then I had a bit of a break, then I went to someone else, who eventually gave me therapy for free because I couldn't afford it anymore, which was very funny. Uh, uh, so, wait, so how many... So you had a large number with this one yeah. trainee person, then she, did she, like, consciously then refer you on, or was she... Had she finished her training? And no, she's... I stopped going for some reason that I can't remember... Probably money. It's always money, isn't it, really? Or maybe yeah. I was doing, like, the end of my festival and I was away for five weeks. Or also what I find with family, sometimes you just... Life's too busy mm. to, like, chisel out a day where you're like, right, well, I'm going to feel weird for this day. Yeah, because it is a lot, isn't it? Like, um... Because sometimes I think I've got to be a bit mentally ill that day. Yeah. And if I'm feeling... To make it worthwhile. Totally, which yeah. is my... I guess... like a per- I don't think that's true. But I it's how it's I approach it. it's true that it has an impact. Yeah. You know, like, if you like, I, I, if I have them, I always try and get it for, like, 4pm. Because I'm like, right, then I can do my day and have a normal day, and then at 4pm I'll have something shit. <laughs> it's like, it's like a, a bad version of a pint at the end of a day. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you don't want to have it, like, 9am. Or if you have it at 9am, then you don't want to book in a meeting at half ten. Mm, I've done that before. It's, uh, it's a lot. Um, but have you ever, like... I guess for you, because of the disassociation stuff, like, this is why it's interesting to sort of um, talk about it, I guess. But, like, um, sometimes I've felt, like, quite okay going into a session. And I felt like I've had quite a good week because, like, maybe it's good things have happened or it's just been, like, a really fun week. Um, and then so I felt like, oh, I don't really, like, need to, like, sit down today and talk mm-hmm. about things. Even though I'm not, like... Like there's still the like the long term yeah. underlying stuff, but like I guess for you because of the disassociation, did that ever affect you or, were you, or was that sort of like the norm for you where you went in and you were just like, because you felt okay, I guess did you at the time? Um, so I think there was I think what was sort of weirdly helpful if helpful is the right word for it is because the sexual abuse is such a clear issue. Yeah. It felt like... As in, in society or with... Some, some like... It's, I think I mean in society, it felt like quite a good hook around which to base things. You know what I mean? So, mm. so even if I was feeling all right, I could be like... Uh, yeah, and just talk about the problems with that. And, and a lot of that is like resolving, you know, how... You know, my, I didn't tell my family something about why I didn't do that. And, and, and that was before... So you had therapy before telling your family about it? Yeah, I started doing stand-up about it before I told my family about it. And I assume they never came to any of those shows. No, I, I mean, that, I, I was going up to Edinburgh. Right. I thought, I need to tell them because I'm going to do a show about it. Mm. 
So. Yeah, that was similar to my, uh, the show that I'm writing at the moment. Um, it was about like sexuality and mental health and stuff, and I had to like, um, I was like sharing stuff online about it, mm. um, and like I wasn't even I like, didn't even know like sec- my sexuality or anything. I was yeah. like, I can't share something on social media that's for a festival called Queer Contact yeah. and then just be like, well, why is our heterosexual son performing at that? So have you talked to them about it? I did, yeah. I sent them I sent them a message sort of before I shared everything and I sort of had to uh, yeah, and yeah. I was really, I hated it. Like I sent them a message and I like put, turned my phone off and I literally like I banned myself from going on to, on my phone because if I'd gone back onto it, I'd have just like deleted the message. Not, it's not even because it's like... To, was this a message to your family or was it a message online? To my family, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just to my parents. And I just, like, I think um, it's not even that they, like, I was worried how they would react. It's just that I couldn't, bo- couldn't be bothered with, like, uh, any sort of fanfare or any, like, conversation around it because I just, like, I didn't want that at all. Mm. Um, because it doesn't, feel, like, to me, it just it's something I just want to, like, get on with and it's just not, like, for me, it's like, that's, that's just my life, that's me. Um, and I don't need anyone to sort of like, you know, start like tiptoeing around anything mm. or being like, oh, right, okay, well, how's that? And, and especially with like the mental health stuff, I was really worried about that. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's like a question for you, like with, because that's quite, like you said, it's it's quite a black and white, like that's a bad thing, the, mm. the, the abuse. Does, does that like make you, you seem quite, I don't know if confidence are out where, but you seem quite comfortable talking about it now. And so have you, like, not got that um, worry about, like, people treating you differently because of that and people being like, oh, well, we can't, you know, like, upset or be mean to Johnny or we can't, like, we've got to make sure he's okay. Like, how do we know he's not just going to, you know, whatever, like... I definitely had that. I mean, I think... So, and one of the, like... One of the things... the hard, One of the hardest things is telling your parents who you know will blame themselves. And, you know, I mean, there's a few things worse that can happen to a parent, I guess, and the kid telling them that they were sexually abused. Hmm. So, like, it, my mum went into therapy afterwards because I think it fucked her up quite a bit. So, I mean, that's one of the hardest things. And, you know, one of the points of the show I did was trying to find ways to begin conversations around childhood sexual abuse. Because, I mean, it, the stats on it are, like, insane. Like, it's obviously very difficult to get completely accurate stats, but hmm. some people say it's as high as one in six people are sexually abused as children. You know, it's across all sort of social classes, genders, races, um, and yet we still really struggle to talk about it in any sort of meaningful way. And one of the reasons for that is because if you tell someone you're sexually abused, they freak out. You know what I mean? They, they don't, they're like, oh, golly, you are... And yeah. so I think that's one of the challenging things about talking about it is, and one of the things that stops you talking about it is you know that everyone will freak out to such an extent. Mm. And would you rather... What, how, like, what... Because it's like you can understand why people would do that in totally, a way. Totally, yeah. Because it is a crazy, like it's a, it's a quite a big thing, isn't it? Like, um, and and you don't really know how you would deal with that if, if it was to happen to yourself or to um, if you've got children or anything. But how if you if you could change like how people would react, how like would what would you do or what would your ideal reaction? Well, I be? guess it has to be um, societal change as opposed to so. And I guess the thing is like. Right now I'm trying to write a sitcom where one of the main characters is sexually abused. But that isn't... It's mainly just a funny sitcom. And it's yeah, also yeah. about this guy dealing with this shit. But it's like... You know, and I, I talked about it in Live at the Apollo. And I think it is like going... Shitloads of children are sexually abused in this country. They're not all... Most of them are living quite regular lives and have suffered this thing. Mm. And it isn't... You know, it's not infrequent or rare. It's probably millions of people in the country... And so just, like, I, I guess that is, like, allowing it to be something we talk about rather yeah. than something we hide away from and, and fear. I mean, I, I think we're so... It's so disgusting as an act and it freaks people out so much that happens that we've decided just to not talk about that. Mm. And actually that's sort of the worst thing you can do, really. Yeah, I think, for, like, for, for me, when um, when you told me, I don't think I had, like, a huge reaction, like, oh, my God, like, mm. oh, it must be whatever. But, like, um, at the same time, like, and especially when it, you know, when it comes to, like, talking about it now with, with this podcast, like, we've got such vastly different experiences and, and basis for our mental health. and But obviously, I guess the fundamental is we both you know want like want to and feel okay talking about it um but i would worry about like i do worry about because of how different those experiences are like saying something to you that isn't helpful or isn't 
uh, isn't what you um I mean, I've already done it a little bit when I've been like, oh, yeah, have you, like, disconnected from that childhood? Mm. Because that's how I sort of saw it, and that's how, like, in my head, yeah, yeah. that's how it would go. But it's, like, obviously for you, it's so not that, that it's, like... Um, but, that I, mean, I think the thing is, it's always... It's like we're just trying to meet and have a connection. You know, yeah. So it doesn't, it doesn't feel like... Like, if, if I'm... You know, because it's exactly the same with your mental health, where yeah. I, will, I will not understand and... I will struggle and fail to get a clear, empathic mm. understanding of it because we are so different. But I think so long as the, the pursuit is connection and, and understanding, then yeah. it, I, it would be mental if I got uh, angry at you. <laughs> or, mm. like, you know, like, like, because it's just you know, we're just trying to meet, you know. Yeah, see where those similarities and differences are. And, and it's crazy how uniquely, differently fucked up everyone is. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's so fascinating, the spectrum of, like, humanity and uh, what's the sort of cognitive processes that were in our head or something. Yeah, I think that's why it's so difficult to, like, um, for, like, mental health services to really, like, hone in on, a like, a particular, like, programme. Um, Definitely, yeah. And, and that, yeah, the, the, therein lies one of the problems with, um, you know, like, a underfunded or depleted mental health service. But I think that like what you said like i think that the conversations are what can really like send that on its way in a good direction and like obviously that's one of the reasons for doing this podcast but it's like um you know that's again it feeds into why you're doing your shows and why you're like bringing it up and um and stuff is because you're like the best thing like for for me and it potentially for you is it just like to just put that out there and make it just a conversation and you're not and like you said in the sitcom it's not it is mainly a funny sitcom but that's something there is that just how you is that your like utopia where it's like people can talk about well obviously the utopia would be that would happen in the first place your utopia is abuse happens but we talk about it afterwards we talk about it and it's fine um yeah but like because like i was saying earlier is that how you would want people to react then where it's just like it's conversational and it's healthy it's not like dealt with as a as a huge sort of piece of information i guess i mean it's complex isn't it because it is it clearly is a huge bit of information to yeah, some extent exactly. so, so i wouldn't want to go i guess what i think is if we were able to have these conversations in a in a in a healthy way and you know i don't quite know what i mean by healthy so working out that would be key but i could have told my parents had i not because yeah. because i know that I've got, I've got a great relationship with my parents but I know that, intellectually I know, that though I disassociated, I had so much shame and guilt and all that shit from what happened to me yeah. that I clearly went, I'm going to pop this in a box and never look at it. Yeah. And one of the most damaging things for sure was the fact I didn't feel able to tell, talk to anyone about it. Yeah. And I'm sure one of the reasons for that is because as a society we don't talk about it. Yeah. And you know, when you have kids who are abused... It's always like, kid was abused and then he murdered everyone in his school. Or, you know, like the, the narratives mm. around people who have suffered abuse is so relentlessly negative and so hopeless. And so I think, I just went, this really fucked up things happened to me and I'm never going to think about it again. Mm. And the cost of that is I have so little memories of my childhood. Or, you know, now, like, I, I have no memory of my first date with Sophie, I've no memory mm. of uh, the time you took that cup at me. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's some benefits too. And w- would that also mean you have a memory of me reminding you about it now? Or well, who knows? Who okay. knows how the mind works? Oh. I might grab onto that. As a... Okay, fingers crossed you don't. Um... I will remember it. And I'll chuck one at you. You did chuck one at me there on that day. I don't remember that, and I don't believe you. <laughs> you chucked two at me, so I owe you one, actually. Um, no, but um, I think that's very true. Like, it... Uh, yes yeah, he clearly is like a, a huge piece of information like you said um and it's impossible to know like uh well, how I, guess, you... I guess what sorry to jump in what i think is like like when i did my live at the apollo i talked about the abuse on there and one of the main things was to find a way to to put these conversations into the mainstream in a way that isn't always heavy mm. so i think you know i think documentaries about the catholic church and the abuse of the catholic church are so important to get this out that this is happening and you know um and all these conversations are so important but one of the ways i tried it was for humor because i think if we can find ways to make people laugh about this stuff mm. then we can because at the moment we only talk about it in, in from such a neg- like such a dark lens of you know 
and actually just being at a go, like if someone could watch my life and go, oh shit, that happened to me, you know, to their mate or to their thing. Yeah. And just have these conversations. Look, this happens to shitloads of people and it doesn't, it isn't something that you can have to hold on. Because it takes people 22 years from the time of their abuse on average to tell another soul about it. So that's 22 right. years of people just holding this shit in, them, in themselves, never disclosing it. And that will fuck you up. Yeah. You know, like, my life got so much better when I went to therapy, right, started talking about it and started dealing with it and then started telling people. Yeah. So it's like, it's just letting, it's just finding different sort of ways to bring it into the mainstream. And so you think, like, um, if there was more things like your... I mean, not to make you sound like a saint. I'm the king. But I'm like... the king, and I'm changing the world. <laughs> but yeah, if there was more people like you talking about it, sort of quite candidly on TV and on things, do you think you, as a small, hundred percent, yeah, you would have been more likely to. If it was something we could talk about, I probably would have talked about it. You know what I mean? Mm. And, and it's just something we just, as a society, we're pathetic at it and we're cowardly around it. Yeah, and it makes us, it freaks us out. So we just pretend it doesn't happen. And the people that benefit are the people who do these sick things. Hmm. You know, the, the, what do the people who abuse children want more? They want a society where it's incredibly difficult to talk about. Yeah, and it's scary because I guess that until you talk about it, that person doesn't see any repercussions from it. Um, 100%. Uh, unless they obviously got caught or anything, you know, without mm. you saying anything. But like, that's unlikely, isn't it, I guess? It, but extremely unlikely, yeah. Um... And did you, do you think that that maybe played into it, like, as you were growing older? Like, do you think you felt like um, the ship sailed on, on that, like, your little pirate ship sailed on being able to talk about it? Because you were like, well, I've left it so long now, people are just going to be like, well, why are you mentioning it now? I really normalised it. So I said it was a thing we did together. I think well, how you deal with it, well, how I dealt with it was to minimise it and to normalise it and to sort of blame myself. So you sort of go, it was my fault in some way. Right. It wasn't that big a deal. And um, and, it, and it wasn't, yeah, and it wasn't that big a deal. And then that really works. Hmm. You know, like I used language as a thing we did together. And it was my it was my first therapist who challenged that. And said, that's crazy way to talk about this thing. You know, you were eight years old. But that is how I dealt with it. Hmm. Was just to go, you know, just just to find ways to make it more normal than it was, and to make it okay. But did you did you believe that then when you when you were saying that? Well, the person who abused me was like fourteen or fifteen, so he right. wasn't a full adult, hmm. and I think that always muddied the water for me because I never knew whether he was like an evil paedophile or a teenager discovering his sexuality in a fucked up way. Hmm. And so I think I did. I think I did think. Because he never beat me up either, or like he never. And also, you get a lot of play. Like he used to, I mean, this is quite dark. But he used to suck me off, and it would feel amazing. Like I remember being an eight-year-old boy, and you know, at yeah. any age, that feels incredible. Yeah. So it's like, and it was painful, and also there was loads of pleasure from it, and also I never said no explicitly, like no, no, don't do this. I'm so like it was. It's easy to. Say I was implicit in that, or I was part yeah. of that. Yeah, I remember you saying in your show that one of the things that helped you not feel like it was that level playing field was by saying that, like, you'd noticed how un- absolutely unsexual children of that age are, and that was, like, how could it have been my fault? Or my, like, and, and was that you that saw that? Was that a th- the therapist that helped you see that? Like, That was what- me, actually. One of the few ways I'm able to feel sad about what happened to me is my looking at kids. And looking at like a like a child of like that similar age, yeah, of yeah. that age, and going, they are so profoundly innocent and joyful, and you know they're just running around or whatever. Yeah, and you go, oh, that was me, because I think you, I think I in my head think I was a lot older than I was. You know what I mean? And then you mm. see a kid and you go, oh, this guy's not. This guy, if he's doing anything sexual, it's happening to him. Right. You know what I mean? Like Yeah. So I think that was so I I think sometimes when I when I'm like on the tube well not on the tube anymore, I guess on the tram or whatever, if I see a kid and I'm sort of thinking like it can it, that's the something that does make me feel one of the few things that makes me feel really sad is going off oh, fuck that that was me as a kid. Because I think because mm. I don't have a connection to my eight year old self particularly, 
it's through others that I can see that, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes complete sense. Um, did that realisation, um, how far along uh, in terms of like your process with uh, therapy or with dealing with this as, as an event, how, how far along in the process was this realisation then? Or has that always been in the background? It was in Edinburgh... I don't, I don't know, I was going to sort of give you a date, but I don't know when it was. Um, it, when it was, it, there was loads of therapy sessions where I think the therapist wanted me to cry. And, you know... Oh, in what way, how do you... Well, or, or, or not cry, but connect to the grief of what happened to me. You know, and he'd be like, so you were a young boy, and what would you say to that young boy if you could speak to him? Oh, so it was trying to, yeah, trying to get, like, you, you to reassociate with that I think so yeah. yeah and I just couldn't do it you know and I'd say well I'd say it's really terrible what happened to you Johnny and you know you really didn't deserve that but it was it was completely non-real you know and I was just saying a script I was saying yeah you were like what a character what, what you would say to a different yeah child, uh, yeah and then I saw the I saw these it was just these kids playing and I just suddenly felt like fuck that was me and this sh- awful shit happened to me, and it really fucked me up. And it was quite helpful actually to. And that and did you cry upon I that? I did. Yeah. I did. And so that was just randomly like out and out and about. It was in the it was at the end of a comedy festival, and I was having a shit run. I was just walking to my gig, and I just saw loads of kids. And yeah, it was. I don't know what. I I think I knew at that point I wanted to talk about it in my show. Hmm. So I think maybe there was something that had been like unlocked or something there or yeah who knows really yeah but you'd already been talking about it in that show no that was that was the so i did a show where i sort of half tried i i talked about how i was like at the age of 26 getting my first girlfriend and uh doing all this other stuff moving out of my squat and trying to sort my life out but i didn't talk about the abuse and so it was just a really weird show where it was like why is this why do we care and why 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 are you telling yeah so it's before you found that voice I guess that, I so, um, yeah. yeah which is I think it's so difficult to do that like especially if you've had like a past you know su- such as as that because it's like that's not going to be an easy thing to to realize and I think like when you're so in the spotlight quite literally on the stage mm. that it's it's like you're gonna be you're gonna need to be quite authentically you um I think that's 100% what it was. In the previous show, I wasn't authentically me. I became a, a caricature of a middle-class white guy who was bad with women. Yeah, because that because was, you, that was like a surface funny... Yeah, and that was the only way it made sense to me. Like, I've never really dated, and people are like, well, why? And so I had to be like, well, I'm just sort of very middle-class, and I'm so bad with women. Mm. And actually, that was just bollocks, really. You know, the, yeah. the reality was just that I... You know, and you thought the audiences could see through that, maybe not. Maybe not to be like, no, this person was obviously abused. Like, but, but to maybe Definitely think that like not, this yeah. isn't this isn't like the whole like this just seems like he's written this. Hundred um, percent. And also, I think that when you have lived an experience, your you it transcends cliche. You know, so when I could talk about abuse, I and try and find the humour in it. I I knew exactly how I felt in a particular moment, and I knew that that was funny. Mm. You know what I mean? Where, whereas when you're trying to be like, how would I? What? I don't know. It just I think having lived experience or something allows it because how you always allows it to transcend cliche and stereotype and and makes it so much more interesting because you've lived it, you've had the weird thought, you've had the weird feeling that you wouldn't mm. think, and then when you talk about that on stage, it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think that um, I think that that's so valuable, um, especially because you're now using it in a in a healthy way as well. Because you're um, you've had um, a sort of level of help in terms of like therapy, um, and maybe you'll sort of we'll come on to this, but maybe you'll you know potentially do that again in the future. But then uh, you're now using that platform as, as a way to make other people feel safer to talk about it, uh, which I think is really great. Um, and like you said, it's it's something that you would have wanted as a child um, to have that. So, I mean, I actually weirdly, I feel a lot of shame about my life with the Apollo, and I wish I'd not done it about that. I think it because it was like I'd done a few TV bits before like the Apollo, but I feel like it was my like big thing I did, and I think talking about the abuse, um, I regret doing it now. 
But you said before that maybe like if you'd have seen something like that, that might. I, that's my, my. So I've never I've never watched it really. Right. And I and so intellectually I can be like I'm glad I did that and it's a really brave thing and well done me. But when someone says, "Have I seen you on the TV?" and they know that I was sexually abused as a child and I'm in M and S buying some bread, I wish they didn't know I was sexually abused as a child somehow. Okay. Because it's it's very vulnerable. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. No, I get that. I get that. Um, is that the reason that because like that's still you're still potentially helping other people, I guess, with that, but it's just a very exposing thing for you. Um, so I can I can get there, and I. And, you know, and I tell myself that, like, it was a really good thing. But I know in my body, I think it was... Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't mean... It, and so it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. I just know that... I guess it was a much bigger thing than I thought it was. So how does that differ to the show that you wrote, So like, almost solely about that then? Because there's... Anyone could come to that. I think the difference is that I'm in control of the room in a space. Right. And whereas, you know, like... Um, Whereas on Apollo, you're just on someone's TV whilst they're, you know... Half paying attention. Half paying attention, and then you're just yeah. the guy who bobs on. It's like, something terrible happened to me, and then bobs mm. on. But I think, I'm try- I think I'm, I would like to not feel the way I feel about my life on the Apollo. Has that happened? Do you know that example you just said about you're buying bread and someone comes up to you and says, I've seen you on TV. Has that happened then, and, and you felt at the time, oh, I don't like the fact that you know about my abuse? Yeah. yeah. Or like... Sort of worse than that is when you're like um, meeting someone for the first time and you're having a chat and they say they know about it because you just feel like it is quite a lot for someone to know about you. Mm. And then you go into a thing like you were saying, thing like, well, I am proud of it, I am thinking about it, but I know I feel uncomfortable in myself when it's okay. So that, yeah, and I mean, I think that's really valid and I think it's really important that you've noticed that before it's got to a point where you're like you're underwater with it all I mean unless you do feel like that I don't no I, I know I, I, I might be completely wrong here I don't think I'll ever feel underwater about like I feel like I'm quite mentally robust in terms of my defence mechanisms will be to avoid it for a bit and do you think you'll go back to any sort of form of therapy to maybe talk about like th- this process because if you've got these feelings about the work you're making now as someone who feels like they can talk about it but then again, but then in that same breath it feels like if too many people know about it or if or if um people who you've maybe not um consented to like have not just been ticket buyers which is an interesting like difference as mm. well like i've not really I, I never really thought about that before where like you would be like i'm happy for the strangers who've bought a ticket to my show to know that but a stranger who uh you know watches uh, live at the Apollo is a no. Well, I think and the two things like one, it's scale. So the scale of Apollo's millions, as opposed to the yeah. scale of my Edinburgh show, which is like you know hundred a night or whatever. And I think also it is the show is a, is an hour show and written as a show, yeah. and the live at the Apollo is eight minutes. So it's like what I can say in an hour is so much more complex and interesting and better than what gets popped onto a live at the Apollo screen. Okay. And so do you think, sort of, I know I've waffled on a bit there, but like, so the first thing I said, do you think you'll sort of go to talk to anyone about how you're about this, basically? I, at the moment, my next show is going to be a, largely a response to it. So at the moment, I talk a lot about doing Lively Pollen and feeling weird afterwards, and, and exactly that tension we were saying, on the one hand being like, this is exactly what I want to do, I'm really happy to yeah. have made that decision, and on the other hand, feeling weird buying bread when someone knows I was abused as a kid. Yeah. So at the moment I'm talking, I'm, I'm dealing with it sort of uh, artistically. I don't want to sound like too much of a wanker. Um, <laughs> no, I think that's fair. So that's how I'm dealing with it at the moment. That is literally what you are doing, so you're not a wanker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, always, it always feels weird to me. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm actually dealing with that in an artistic way. So. Yeah, but as long as you're doing, this is what I mean, as long as you're at least in control of it or dealing with it in a way that is up as well as that, because um, I think the artistic thing is great, and especially for helping other people, but it might not necessarily help you. Uh... I think if I went to therapy, I'd do body therapy, and it, you know, like about and try to get in touch with my breathing and in touch with my body and all that sort of shit. Hmm. And I think that could be very helpful for me. Okay, so talk to me about body therapy then, because I'm not really that familiar with that as a as a thing. What what is the general aims or? 
I guess I don't really know is the honest answer. I guess it is a form of therapy which is rather than trying to be I'm very good at heady stuff, you right. know, and like and intellectualizing, you know, and dwelling on myself. And thinking and you know, going mm. you know, I can start I was eight when I was abused and I had this surgery on my legs, I disassociated, now I then I dissociate until I went to therapy and now I'm trying to get back to centre. Yeah. You know. I can understand that. But this is just therapy basically where it's like it's all about your breathing and your breath and about about how you feel. And it's all about... Because I can feel. So apparently some people um, who suffer trauma or whatever just don't have access to their emotions. Mm. I think those people have a really challenging time. I I can feel things, but I just don't recognise the feeling. Right. And so so body therapy helps with that. So body therapy is me going, oh, I'm feeling hungry now. Right. Or, oh, I'm feeling sad now. Or, because it's, it's like I have the sensations, mm. I just don't put the language or the descriptor to it. And then. Okay, yeah, I get what you mean now about what you were saying before about when you just, you're hungry or yeah. you, you need to lose weight, but you just don't, you maybe just don't eat as much and you're fine with being a bit more hungry or something. But um... Totally. Or, or when I'm sad, thinking, oh, I'm sad now, and then feeling that. Because it's just, that is just sensations in your body that make you feel a certain way. And then we've said that's sadness or thing, but actually you, it's just you, me, going on, that's what that is. So pre-gig then, like, you get, like, you must get pre-gig nerves. And do you recognise that feeling or is that like, are you just sort of stood there sort of almost blankly sort of off, off stage being like, yeah, well, I'm doing this next and it's very matter of fact. I think what I go into then is I go into t- the task of learning my lines or something, or thinking about my right. act. Or when I first started, I used to get freaked out about getting the mic out of the stand. So I think like rather than be like, oh, I'm feeling thin here, feeling mm. anxious, I just go into task or something. Mm. Okay, so that's like a, a coping mechanism then. To I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, you're a very task-based person, it seems. You know, with the writing in the mornings, very con- you can make yourself quite regimented like that. I think I, I can. I'm, I'm very not task-based orientated when I'm daydreaming, though. You know, there's no tasks in that world. Yeah. Um, and so I think I try and make myself tasked. And I think, I think, in a way, my life's too chaotic for this. But, like, if I could get up at, like, the same time every day, do the same routine, I think I'd fucking love that. Mm. You know I mean? Like, like routine and order and structure helps me so much because I just need things in the world to stop me just disappearing yeah. from it. I wouldn't... So that's... See, there's little nuggets of similarities yeah, with, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, although we've got vastly different experiences, like... Because for me, like, like, that idea would be great as well. Mm. Um, and I can't... Um, do that but I guess from from a different place like for me sometimes I like really struggle to get to sleep if I'm feeling anxious or I'll wake up in the morning and I'll be like I'll feel really foggy or bleak or mm. whatever I'll, I'll just like uh, and th- but like this idea of like the days where I wake up and I've done um, and I've made a list the night before like everyone says you should do yeah. and um, I start executing that list and I'm doing it and by 12 o'clock I've already done the tasks that I said I would do mm. by that time and I'm doing the rest of it I'll feel great and I know yeah. that if I could do that every day that would be amazing yeah, um, yeah. how come you struggle with it? just I think I get too anxious about like when I don't do that and I think that that's something that like some people can go like no I'm giving myself a bit of time off here mm. or no I'm uh, but like I'd give myself this time off but then I don't, I feel really, like, guilty about it, or I feel like, um... I mean, that's where the hardest thing about being self-employed, isn't it? Mm. Is giving yourself time off. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I, with self-employed, it's like you're never fully off, and you're never fully on. Yeah. So you're always, like, you can always do more. And now I'm much better now at going, like, right, Saturday, I'm not working. Right, yeah, yeah. Unless, of course, you've got a gig. Yeah, I mean, presumably I've not got a gig on that Saturday. I'm not working. <laughs> Call up. But then, if you do, like on that Saturday, if you do have a gig, what if that if Saturday's your chalked off day? Normally, I wouldn't do that though. Then, so I would, I'd change it. So I think you. I'd so you would, to, so you would yeah. be able to do that, and you'd be like, okay, Wednesday now then. Yeah, so I'd go well, Saturday because Saturday can't be a day because I've got a gig. Right. So I'm gonna so because yeah, I'm gonna yeah change it to Sunday or whatever, and just go right Sunday. I'm not doing anything. Okay. And you feel like you can do that? I, I've had to teach myself. Like, it, I, like it's like, and the, the way I've taught myself is by going, at, figuring out, actually, if I say I'm working Monday to Friday, I do so much more work. 
Mm. Or like, I think almost like the more you can compress your time and go like, right, I'm working, I'm doing all my admin on Mondays. Yeah. Then you just do all your admin on Mondays. And as much as you go around doing all my ad- admin Monday to Friday, it'll take the same length of time. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, do you give yourself deadlines then, uh, even if they're imaginary? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I think you've got to us, you just don't get anything done. Yeah, that, yeah well, exactly. I try, I try to do that. I work far better when I've got an actual deadline than when I've given myself one. Yeah. Because um, sometimes as well I make... Um, um, this is what my last therapist said as well. Like I make unrealistic plans. I do that all plans, the time. And too. I'm like... Yeah, I'm like write a script and it's like I've not done that today and I'm like well you've not written a whole script yeah, yet yeah. well that's not like yeah. and also I do a thing where I imagine in my head I'm a completely fundamentally different person to who I am <laughs> what as in like, yeah, this hyper productive yeah like, yeah I'm yeah. Like, right I'm going to do all my emails for four hours and then about 12 minutes in I'm like well this is dull <laughs> yeah do you just find like sometimes I won't even consciously click off it and I know we've got both obviously we're both fantasy football experts yeah, um, yeah. oh yeah and um, so sometimes I'll be like yeah and I'm doing this and I'm, I'm, I was doing a writing task and I won't even consciously go off that task yeah. and start looking at my fantasy football team or something like that it's, and the internet's just such a fucker for that yeah because it just takes your phone beeping mm. your google it's, <laughs> it's so hard when I'm doing well, and I, I'm not doing great in the morning in terms of being productive, I do do that, like, 25 minutes... What's that promoter oh, technique? Uh, yes, called? someone was telling me about that recently when I was having a conversation about productivity. It's like, yeah, 20, it's 25 minutes on, 5 minutes off. But really, the thing that that's great about that is you just... You turn your phone off, mm. or you turn it off on aeroplane mode... And you just don't open a tab on your fucking... Like, that's... And it works then. Yeah. You just have to get rid of everything that beeps in your life. The thing that makes me concerned about doing that is... uh, I say concern, that's a very big word for it. But um, sometimes, like, when I'm on on a roll with, like, something that I'm doing, and if that 25 minutes chime then, and I'm Mm. like, oh, you have five minutes off, I'd be like, well, actually, no, I I could just keep working. But... Like, yes, I, I don't know, like, I think it might help if I could keep doing it to yeah, be able yeah. to harbour that, like, time and be able to go, okay, now I am doing the work. But, like, for yeah. me, it's just, like, I, I don't, I can't turn the tap of productivity on and off. That's interesting. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like that. And so I've got to sort of relentlessly just... My way of basically being productive is I've got to take myself to an environment where, out of the flat, so I can't go, oh, I'll play half an hour on FIFA. Yeah, yeah, I can't, yeah. like, I can't do that because I'm in a space where I'm at a coffee shop and then I have my laptop. If I get distracted, I get distracted. But I've got. I can't get. I can't leave. Yeah. Which is great for the people at the coffee shop because they're like, "Come on, we need Seven that. Hours we need that I'm fucking table. <laughs> You've got one it. coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, um, yes, for tap water. Yeah, with lemon and ice yeah. as well. So just to. Uh, yeah. So, I, but I tell myself I can't. I can't leave until I've you know done a certain amount that I that would make me leave feeling like I've been productive that day. Uh, I don't know if that's the best way, the more most efficient way, or anything like that. Mm. I, I wish I could just be like, no, do you know what? I'm going to spend all morning uh, working, and I'll get it all done, and then I can have like you know the afternoon off or whatever. But yeah, I don't think I can. I don't think I can do that if unless I, like you said, I've got like a key deadline, an actual deadline. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that yeah. someone else has given me like an, like a you know an application or something like that. But so you can do you, the twenty five five works for you. It does when I'm in the right. It's not working at the moment. It does work sometimes. I think also mainly I like stand up and that's so. The hard thing about stand up, you can stare at a black piece of paper and then you go for a shit and you suddenly get an idea. Mm. It's like you just have to tell yourself that the twenty five minutes you did was helpful in some way, but it so might not be. Yeah. Actually, just lastly, then okay, before we start, I think I guess that's an interesting avenue is the is writing things like that and. Um, because for me, like, um, I have so many terrible stand-up ideas. Um, I'll write some. I think we've talked about this before. Like, I'll write something, and I feel like it's been really good. Usually, I'll write it when I'm drunk and I've been in the bathroom of like a bar, just like I've gone for a wee, and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Bathrooms, right, bars, and gross. Yeah, yeah. Oh, aren't they bloody hell? Have you ever noticed the yeah. taps? They're yeah. too hot, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. And um, people pissing them. What sort of crazy? <laughs> yeah. So absolute gold like that, and then like the next day, I'll I'll, I'll sort of. Um, or maybe I'll have a bit where I'm like, oh, okay, let me sort of refine the stand-up then, um, and I'll look at it all and I'm like, oh my god, like, a lot of this is awful, mm. um, or something like that. It's like, so how do you approach 
that as like a, a writing process like um how do you deal with the bad with the good good question i think um a few things one of the things i've learned about myself i'd like to change but and i'm trying to change at the moment so, so i'm trying to write a club set at the moment which is like clubs are like um places you do like 20 minutes comedy in front mm. of like you know, some people, they've not necessarily paid to... They have no idea who you are. Yeah. And the audience is tend to be quite drunk. I'm, I am I definitely am less good at writing that sort of material that works for those crowds. And I'm definitely better at writing, like, hour-long shows, which are about themes, you know, like my last show was about child uh, yeah. sexual abuse, and my next show is going to be about uh, the complexity of talking about being an abuse survivor on TV and that being part of your identity that you both accept... And also struggle with, and you know, so I'm definitely better at writing. And when I'm writing a show, it is quite a lot more like I sort of know the political point I want to make. So, like my last show, I knew I wanted to talk about the the scale of child sexual abuse. I knew I wanted to talk about how we have to find ways to have these difficult conversations, uh, and and so I knew my point. And then I knew that was a very easy show to write because I knew it was a very clear like arc of um, I started right at the beginning talking about how I was abused uh, and then going from the journey of not being I was living in a squat mm. I was uh, taking a lot of drugs in quite a hedonistic fun way but you know not a particularly productive way I never <laughs> had sex uh, and the journey was to go from there to who I am now which is a man with a relatively long term girlfriend living in the suburbs who's blah 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 yeah. So there's such a clear arc there. And I think, so now, when I, I'm still not really writing my new show, but if I did was to write it, it would be like, right, what is the point of this show? And I guess the point would be something like, how do you live a happy life having suffered sexual abuse? And uh, how do you talk about that without defining you all? You know, that's shit. But okay. that would be something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's shit. Yeah. But that's what it's going to be. But, but yeah. like that, yeah. and then it would be like, right, and then it, so I'd go, right, what are, the, what are the points on this story? There's me doing Apollo, there's me uh, feeling weird after Apollo, there's someone talking to me, there's why I felt weird at Apollo, there's wanting to feel good about it. And there's other things and blah, blah, blah. and then it, you know. Mm. So, it, I guess that's yeah, that's it. Really, I, I, actually, I really resonate with that because um, for me, uh, and like we talked about before, finding your voice and stuff. Out of, um, I mean, we've talked about it in the past. I used to do stand up years ago, yeah, and yeah. I was nowhere near as sort of self aware as I am now. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And um, not that I'm like, I've, that's that journey hasn't finished, and it probably never ends, does it? For people, it's but finished, like, Sam, you're self aware. <laughs> oh, I'm fine. You've got I'm the fixed. You've got the certificate. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I have found it a lot I know I said I've got like so many uh, you know write bad ideas or whatever but like they're better than the bad ideas that I had back then and they've all, they're all my bad ideas have always been better than yeah um, and, and now I've got political things or, or social things or personal things I can talk about like mm. mental health sexuality experiences with those things or like my experiences with comedy growing up or whatever like yeah, yeah. or whatever like I think that they're finding that like well, what what do I want to talk about okay I want to talk about how like yeah my, like a homophobic attack or something like that or yeah, like yeah. my personal experiences with uh, mental health and once you've got that you can then just use your own well for me I'm thinking like, I can just use my own like personality and my own like totally. um, sort of determination to be funny with yeah. that as well like um, or natural instinct to be funny, I guess, isn't rather than determination. And then it's like, yeah, there, there's the comedy then. And I guess the specificity, like you're, you know, if you, there is a homophobic attack, the specific, the specificity of the time it happened to you and what was absurd and what you were thinking yeah. and the stupid things you did or the stupid things you thought or the stupid things he did will make it completely unique and interesting. And and whereas when you're trying to work out like what's funny about printers. Uh, you know I mean? Yeah, you just sat there like twiddling your pen in a coffee shop, and like, yeah, and you like, it, and some people can do that. Some people are fucking amazing. Like yeah. I think Michael McIntyre is amazing. I, I think he's a, f- a phenomenal comedian. Mm. I just can't do it. I just don't no. have the skill set to be like, what's funny about the way people say hello or the way people. Yeah, that, that, that's the hoover. thing. But I'm trying at the moment to write more clubby stuff. So I'm so I'm back to try to figure out how to do that, which is I'm quite enjoying actually at the moment. But yeah. I'm definitely less naturally good at that. Yeah, because it's harder to talk about. Like, like I said, the homophobic attack thing. Like, I've got like a thing where it's like a short bit on that, mm. 
but like really like you said it'd be nice to go into like more of the details and have a longer form thing and it, and it's about like how that you know what's the setting for that and for me I've had like experiences where I've done like comedy clubs and the audience have just been a bit more like especially when you started out they're a bit more hostile towards mm. these comedians if they don't completely get on board with you straight away and yeah. I think part of that was because I didn't have that identity either yeah. so I wasn't confident about what I was doing on stage and so if I ever had like people just sneering yeah, like, yeah. as I got up as well I'd, that'd just be it like um so we'll see how it goes but I think yeah like like you I think I much prefer writing longer form things than than a five ten minute club thing but we'll see how it goes see if it proves exciting <laughs> you're doing a gig this week aren't you or like next next, this month yes at the comedy balloon in manchester so come on down to that check it out and you you're writing the, you're in the process of writing a show you're doing some um i've got some tour dates the birmingham glee uh, with my show off limits on the 2nd of september Yep. And the Nottingham Glee on the 8th of September. If you're around and fancy checking it out, then come to those shows. And we've touched on some of the issues, so if you found them interesting um, and you want to hear more... Then it's a good show. It, it is a very more. good show. I, I saw it and it was. I think it's a really, really unique and entertaining show I think that's the that's it's the, funny it's mainly funny it sounds very heavy in the way oh yeah funny it. sorry I, assume, no. I assumed but basically yeah. in my head funny was an assumed thing no uh, no I, I wasn't I wasn't yeah. um, I was adding on to what you're saying about entertaining rather than trying to sort of um, uh, dismiss it <laughs> I, I completely think that's one of the things I really set out to do is I wanted to write a show that was like laugh out loud funny around yeah. quite a difficult topic so and I think that's really funny yeah that's a real like magic combo in it like to have like something that you really care about and it's in an art form that you really like and um it's great and obviously stand up is the best art form um <laughs> <laughs> uh, no brilliant well thank you Johnny, for coming on to this podcast i really appreciate it um i know you're a busy man um and i hope you can call yourself productive for today because you've talked to me uh, about these things and hopefully none of my listeners come up to you in M&S when you're trying to buy bread well if they said I really enjoy you on Sam's podcast I'm like great right because you've because it's a bit a bit longer yeah, form yeah and I'll say it, but if they then laugh at you and if, hit, they, if they laugh at me and say hi you're abused as a kid yeah. that's a big no no for me okay yeah I don't I don't really know my listeners yet so uh, just to sell you probable, I don't, there might be like scumbags I'm yeah. guessing <laughs> yeah, yeah. if there's anything to do with me you're gonna be your, your gang is gonna yeah, yeah. come down on you as soon beat as you me this is with some yeah some podcast fans S- somehow we find it really interesting yeah, content yeah. but we also like batter yeah. the we're bullies yeah <laughs> yeah what a weird group of people um, but yeah no hopefully that doesn't happen um, and hopefully they all are nice people um, but that's the risk we're taking um, yes. but thank you for taking that risk with me Johnny um, thanks for having the site it's been a hoot lovely um, and I hope to speak to you again soon woohoo bye bye bye